and welcome to the bus stop. This is the official podcast of the National School Transportation Association. I'm Kurt Mackison, Executive Director. And in today's membership minute, just want to remind folks that the virtual registration for this month's midwinter meeting is now open. So the dates of the programs for virtual attendance are February 22nd and 23rd. You can go to our website at www.yellowbuses.org. Look for the NSTA meetings navigation bar, and that'll take you to the midwinter meeting. All right. So at NSTA, the bus stop today, one of our repeat visitors, and happy to have him, Corey Muirhead. He is executive vice president of Logan Bus in New York, as well as the president of the New York School Bus Contractors Association. So welcome back to the bus stop, Corey. Hi, Kurt. Thank you very much for having me. No, our pleasure. So, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that continues to go on. And I know previous couple of times we've had you on the podcast, you've been a great source of information. So why don't you take a moment to update the listeners about the status of school reopenings in New York? I, I know that, you know, it's been a di- very difficult you know time for you, but I, I do see some, some traction in school reopenings. And so how's that going in the Empire State? So things are going well. We are uh, just about fully opened given schools that are closed for the full year or given schools that close for a week or two for COVID cleaning. Down in New York City, we're about 90% operational. So, you know, there's 10,000 routes. You fluctuate anywhere from 9,000 routes a day. And schools, you know, close down for a day or two or a week and, and they do a deep cleanse. But after we got over that hurdle in November where they shut down schools for a week, uh, we've, you know, we haven't looked back and they've continued to keep the schools open. So, uh, you know, Long Island and Upstate are doing better too. They're at 100% capacity, 100% operational, not capacity, excuse me. But uh, things are running here and, you know, we're being conscientious of the school infection rate as opposed to the citywide or the countywide rates in their respective counties. And the citywide and the county rates are significantly higher by, you know, ninefold as opposed to the infection rates. So in the schools. So we're working, we're doing we're doing our diligence. We're making sure that we're staying safe. And more and more schools are open. Uh, the one thing I will say is there's te- there seems to be more private schools that are closed for the full year that have gone fully remote. So that has certainly hurt the, the those of our members who operate in the private community space. But as far as school districts, we're we're seeing a lot of them come back and getting more kids in and, and increasing enrollment. That's good. And um, and and this would be of interest to some people. What ended up happening with extracurricular activities and sports activities in in New York? There's a fight for it to come back right now. There's there's county executives who have signed on. Uh, the governor is, is right now mulling the option of whether or not non-contact sports could come back. But I think we start to see some really good news come out of um, sport activities being able to come back in the springtime. Okay, that's that's good news because. You know, uh, New York is a highly contracted state. Sixty-two percent of the market is handled by private school bus contractors. Overall, how do you think the school bus contractors are faring in the state? Well, I think we're all happy to get back to work. I think that we are proud to, you know, be standing and working and having employees back. But the fight's not over. Uh, right now, the governor's executive budget proposal is calling for a cut of about five hundred million dollars to pupil transportation services statewide. So that's going to be a huge fight for us. And, you know, under the executive budget proposal, the transportation expenses incurred by districts during the uh, the school closure 
they, they're not reimbursing for. They wouldn't be eligible for transportation aid. So while we preached for months on end about how we provide more services than just physical transportation and all of the myriad number of things that we need to do to stay open and stay afloat and keep our compliances and keep our insurances and keep our drivers in in, uh, in compliance and, and things like that, it, it kind of just fell by the wayside. And, his, and he could be using it as a negotiating tactic, sure, but to not have transportation aid for the months of March through June and expect us to still stay in business and expect us to provide the same level of service we do year on and year out is just counterintuitive. Many tool bus companies got through the pandemic because of the negotiating that they did with their school districts, because they were able to come to a settlement on the contract to keep them afloat and make sure that they were able to, the actual cost of services were reflected and both parties were happy. And now the governor's saying that they could be clawed back and or not, you know, not, not aided. So we have a fight on our hands and we are, you know, we've hit the ground running. I testified last week at the New York state joint legislative hearing on the budget proposal. So, you know, we're hitting, you know, we're hitting everyone. We're going to Schumer. We're going to Gillibrand. We've, we've gone to the second floor of the governor. We testified at the legislative hearing and we're going to say this this is not this isn't going to fly for us we need aid the school districts need aid and you need to see the school bus transportation as a vital part of the education system and that's where we're at right now so yes we're all happy to be back we're all happy to be running but we're not out of the weeds yet and we still have some issues going on yeah and and something i preached consistently to you know to all our members is to make sure that they immerse themselves in the these budget deliberations you know moving forward to truly understand your student transportation funding formula because, you know, the, the nuances, the devil's always in the detail. And, you know, when challenging periods like this come across, it's good to have the understanding of how that f- formula works so you can adequately advocate on behalf of private school bus contractors. So that's great that you're doing that. And I think the other thing, you know, that's important that uh, you guys have done is is kind of a coordinated uh, campaign to make sure that folks are educated as to what private school bus contractors really do. It's not just a bus showing up. I mean, there's a lot of work involved to uh, that allows that bus to, to show up on time each and every school day. Yeah, certainly. And that's what the testimony was all about. You know, we put it into real life examples of all the regulatory compliance requirements that we had to continue on to do during the shutdown. And, you know, the New York State Education Department put out a memo on the Board of Regents, they pushed legislation that would allow districts to be reimbursed. So even within the own agency, the governor's own agencies, we have people on our side. Uh, but it only goes so far because the state aid memo, state education department memo says that they should be reimbursed, but they leave out May and June. So it's better than the executive budget proposal, but to not support the transportation expenses in May and June, they're suggesting that the school bus system, the entire the entire system could have been completely shut down from May, June, July, and August, and that would have left banks to repossess vehicles, insurance payments to lapse, employees to go completely non-compliant and, you know, linger without wages, without health insurance. And then all the while, summer would come around and the industry had to ramp up and be ready for September. Right. That with an adequate number of, you know, licensed and certified drivers. Certainly. Yeah. So what, what do you think in, in terms of the long-term prognosis on, on school bus contracting in, in New York? What, you know, you, you say that, you know, in the short term, you're going to work on these budget matters. You know, is there a long-term, 
you know, plan on how we can partner with uh, school districts and other policymakers to just ensure that, you know, folks know that this is equity in access to education that school buses provide. So in a lot of cases, you, you know, the disproportionate number of, you know, you know, at-risk students are going to be affected, you know, with transportation funding cuts. Yes, certainly. And, and you really nailed it on the head is that is that the, the the impoverished neighborhoods and the impoverished communities are always the one hit the hardest whenever whenever cuts like this happen, and those are the ones that utilize the most transportation and have the highest census. So uh, you know the long term prognosis, I see a couple of things. I think that there's going to be a fight over the next few years regarding stricter contract language. I think that districts and attorneys are going to put in very difficult language for them to not have to pay when schools are shut down. And I think that we are going to push on our end to basically say that we are providing a service and we are providing prices for 180 days. And we are to be paid on 180 days, regardless of what happens within the school year. So I certainly see stricter contract language and some different contracts and different bids coming out, You know, whether it's precluding any payment when things are shut down. I certainly see lawsuits coming from what happened with people not paying from last year. And I would say another thing that is kind of interesting, but I really do think long-term prognosis, I think that you may see some contracts that have an obligatory inclusion of electric vehicles or some sort. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot, and now you, you, they, you have the inclusion of technology. You have GPSs. You have counties in New York that are winning stop arm cameras, and now that, that, now that the, the contractors have to put stop arm cameras on their vehicles, I think eventually – they're not going to care about the price of an electric vehicle, but if you wish to do work in that county, in that district, in that city, in that municipality, there's going to be an inclusion of X amount of electric vehicles. Hmm. That's, that's interesting take, and that would fold into the Biden clean energy plan of 100% electrification of school bus fleet by 2030. Now, we, we know that you've already partnered on you know some of these projects. What, what do you think about the you know, long range aspirations to, to be able to turn over, you know, 500,000 school buses in the space of nine years. So I think it's just incomprehensible, incomprehensible, excuse me. And I, I think that it's a very lofty goal. I'm all for putting electric vehicles on the road. I'm all for the turnover. I just think we have to be realistic and pragmatic about this. You have 500,000 vehicles to replace in a nine year range. That's 55,000 a year. School bus or original equipment manufacturers are producing hundreds or or 300 vehicles on the road. They have to ramp up to 55,000 a year. That's without turnover of any of the actual electric vehicles. I think that we're running before we're crawling, etc. And I think that we need to put that into perspective for everyone involved. I appreciate the initiatives. I appreciate the lofty goals, and I appreciate all the media attention and focus that's being put on school buses and clean air and electric vehicles. But I think that we have to do it in a way that's both economically feasible and logistically feasible. Yeah, well said, and I couldn't agree more. I think the other aspect, too, is the infrastructure that's required, you know, for these buses and, you know, having to, you know, make sure that, you know, that's accounted for in, you know, these these costs 
estimates, you know, that we're doing. Yeah, certainly. I, I think that, you know, when you when you operate in a metropolis and you park every vehicle in and you park them in like sardines where you have every vehicle right next to each other, I think it's going to be extremely difficult to have those charging stations and you'll lose certain number of vehicles. And there's only a finite pieces of real estate in, in each of these cities and things like that. So infrastructure is definitely going to play a, a vital and a, a role in how we're able to do this and, and what to what extent we are able to do this. Yeah, a great topic. And I'm sure we'll, you and I will uh, speak down the line more on, you know, electric school buses. But yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, we're all supportive of the concept. It's it's the rollout that we really need to plan for, because if we don't do that adequately, then the children are the ones that are going to be affected. Certainly. And I say this with the utmost respect, but this is our industry and we're the experts. But people come in and they force initiatives down our throat without asking us. And this is this talks to the larger issue of us having a seat at the table and explaining to them. When we have a seat at the table and we say, guys, we want this initiative, too. We're passionate about this as well. But here's how we see it working. That's where we need to get to a space so that people understand on how this can truly happen. Yeah, so, so true. It, you know, you always bring so much great information to the podcast. I have one last question as we're running um, short on time, but big issue that, you know, within the NSTA that we talked about in the latter stages of 2020 was, you know, deployment of the COVID-19 vaccine. And, you know, NSTA argued for a priority treatment for school bus drivers with the CDC, and, and we were well-received well there. I think a little bit of disconnect was then the CDC kind of moderated its position saying we can only make recommendations and the states are going to be the ones to really actually roll out the vaccine, which, you know, then we brought our case to, you know, state level. But how's that going in New York? Because I know that in states that I talk to, you know, it's a mixed bag out there. Some are doing really well with the vaccine rollout. Others are doing not as well. How's it going in New York? It's very challenging. We were able to start getting, drivers were able to start getting vaccine under 1B on January 11th, and not many have. Uh, it, it's it's very cumbersome. The online application and the appointment is grueling and burdensome, and, and it's just a laborious exercise. You know, if you saw the news the other day, 23,000 appointments got canceled because the city had a shortage. So not only are we facing a very difficult system to maneuver and operate, but then they're not even getting the appointments because there's a shortage in the actual vaccine. So, uh, you know, what we've seen is we've really teamed up with labor and the unions around here, and, and we've worked together to get our driver's vaccine. And what we do is we provide lists to those municipalities, and they let us know a certain time and date that, that can work for some, some drivers. But as, as far as a whole, you know, in the whole industry, we represent 55,000 workers who need to be vaccined, and I, I would certainly argue that less than 5% have been vaccinated thus far, and we're a month into this. So it's certainly challenging. I saw that the governor and, and de Blasio, the mayor, said that they're going to open Yankee Stadium in the Bronx for 15,000 appointments, and that's great. But I think that they really need to take a look at the state system. I think they really need to take a look at the city system and then even the individual county systems. And and therein lies a problem itself is that you have a state system, you have the state health department, and then each county and each city have their own system. So for all of my drivers and for all of my employees, they, they're saying, well, I'm going on this website and I'm going on that website and, and the vaccines, it's, you know, it's like playing the lotto. They, some people, when they first tried to register in January, they weren't able to get an appointment until March and now their appointment's canceled. 
So I certainly think they could do a much better job of the rollout, but we're going to keep working and we're working hard and we're working with the labor unions and we're going to keep getting our employees vaccinated. And, you know, it's important that no matter what, no matter how hard, no matter how laborious it is, we're going to keep working and we're going to be there to tell the people who are running this how hard it is and try and make it easier for everyone. Yeah, that's great. It, it's like uh, when you talk to people, you know, and, it, it, and you speak with them, it's like, you know, have you received the the vaccine yet? And it's it's like winning the lottery, you know, basically, uh, you know, of, of the, you know, couple hundred friends and acquaintances, you know, it's like one or two that, you know, have gotten the vaccine. So it is interesting. I had a friend of mine say that it's like going on Ticketmaster and getting yeah. sold out tickets the second day they're put up there. So it pretty much is. And, you know, you, you make you make a facetious um, analogy like that, but that's exactly what it is. Yeah. The old days where you have to call in for Billy Joel tickets. So there you yeah, go. And you there get you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Corey, we're so thankful to have your insights uh, once again for everyone. Corey Muirhead, he is the executive vice president of Logan Bus Company in New York and also the president of the New York School Bus Contractors Association. Corey, thanks so much for joining us at the bus stop. And hopefully you can talk in a month or two when you know we got this thing on the run and, and things are starting to really peak for us. So thanks again. From your mouth to God's ears, thank you very much for having me again. 